This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 121, with our spoiler-filled discussion of Thor Ragnarok and our continuation of our Summer of Strange podcasts. Welcome back, Defenders, to episode 121 of Defenders TV Podcast, where we are in spoilerific mood for our discussion of Thor Ragnarok, the third film from Thor, our god of thunder. This is a podcast with five hours apart in two time zones, four countries about a film that we watched in another country. (laughs) This is truly international. I'm one of your hosts, John. Welcome back, fellow defenders. I'm one of your other hosts, Derek. And rounding out the group, I'm Chris. Hi, Chris. It's been a, been a while since we've been recording on Defenders TV Podcast. How are you doing? Yeah. Winning. <laughs> Very good. And how's New York? New York is great. Um, yes, I'm currently here for all of November. So a lot of our Punisher and, our, and this podcast will be filmed, as we said, multiple time zones. And jet lag sucks. <laughs> I can imagine. Well, uh, Basel is t- hammer swinging. It's hammer swinging. Yes, hammer swinging. Absolutely. <laughs> I like it. Nice bit of, nice little bit of German in there for you. Yeah, multicultural podcast this time. Um, if you haven't been listening to us over on Gotham TV podcast, you've probably had a very empty feed for the last month. Uh, as myself and John have been covering Gotham on our regular feed for, uh, for Gotham TV podcast, like we do every single year. Join us over there. You'll get to hear some weekly episodes about an excellent TV show as Gotham has become in season four. Uh, but we will, <laughs> but we will be getting back into our Defenders coverage when The Punisher arrives on the 17th of November on Netflix. Looking forward to that one, guys. Yeah, definitely. Uh, blood, guts, and uh, violence, I reckon. I think this is going to be very different to the other shows that we've talked about. I have a feeling some of us are going to be crying at the violence that's happening in these episodes, and there's not going to be a huge amount of lightness. No, it's going to be... I'm getting Black Hawk Down vibes mm-hmm. with conspiracy-level theory... Like craziness in there because we have micro. Yeah, I'm getting like this is going to be the most non-Marvel Marvel Netflix TV show to date. It's probably the best way I can put it. Yeah, I got the feeling this is going to be a Netflix show. This is going to be their type of darkness. Yeah, definitely. I uh, must say, really looking forward to it. Um, and of course, for the Punisher uh, as well as for any of our Defenders podcasts, uh, you can head on over to our website at DefendersTVPodcast.com and just go to the right-hand side to our subscribe menu where you can decide to choose any Thor or Hulk podcast catcher from Apple to Google Play to anything else in between. You can, of course, uh, find us there on Defenders TV Podcast. And, of course, uh, as we like to say now, please share the love, subscribe, react, rate, uh, and leave a review. Uh, All uh, the feedback we get is excellent stuff uh, and good for us to take on board. Um, And, of course, all our urns, urs, and whatever else will be sponsored by um, Jeff Goldblum today, who has made a career out of that, uh, despite us trying to always eradicate them from our podcast. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I know what you mean, John. Yeah, so um, thank you, Jeff Goldblum, um, <laughs> who I absolutely loved in this film, of course. Yes. 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 Jeff Goldblum playing Jeff Goldblum. And today on the podcast, we have Jeff Goldblum playing John, who's also <laughs> playing Jeff Goldblum. Excellent. That's to explain away your future ums and ahs. Exactly. 
So, Derek, with all the ums and ahs out the way, uh, what about some of the, the details on this movie? I presume most of the cast were from Home and Away, Neighbours, or Shortland Street. <laughs> there were a fair few. There were a fair few. But this is a first-time entrant to Marvel from Taika Waititi, uh, who is a very small film director. Um, Not anymore. He's <laughs> going to be very big after this one. Yeah, he's directed two, two movies before, What We Do in the Shadows and Hunt for the Wilder People. Uh, both comedies, both very different films, one about vampires um, who have been living in uh, in Australia for years and their interaction with werewolves, uh, which is very funny. Yeah, and apparently it's been looked to be made into a TV show as well. So uh, that could be quite interesting. That could be very interesting. It's very office-like, actually, but with vampires and, and werewolves. Exactly. I kind of get the feeling we'd probably have Noel Fielding starring in that. Oh, God, no. (laughs) Uh, He also did The Wonderful Hunt for the Wilder People. If you haven't seen that film, that one I would highly recommend to anybody that liked this film. I think it's it's one of those films you could watch with your entire family. It's a really, really good movie, Um, even though there's some some quite difficult moments in it. It is quite a serious film in bits, but there's some very good humor in that film, starring Sam Neill uh, as well, who we get a little guest appearance in this movie. Yes, uh, another Jurassic Park alumni here uh, in this movie with mm-hmm. Jeff Goldblum and uh, and Sam Neill. Now that's what I call a pile of stars. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Speaking of piles of people, uh, this movie was written by three different writers. Uh, friend of the show, Eric Pearson, uh, who wrote Agent Carter Woo-hoo! and almost all of the Marvel one-shots. Um, he is one of my favorite writers. Uh, as you know, if you were listening back in the days when we used to cover the wonderful Agent Carter, it was always very exciting to get an Eric Pearson episode really, really good. So he's made the jump up to uh, Marvel full-on movies now. Same as Craig Kyle, who wrote most of the Marvel cartoons, including one of our former Summer of Strange entrants, Doctor Strange, the animated movie. He wrote that as well. Absolutely. And rounding out the writing group. Yeah, it's Christopher Yost, who wrote Thor The Dark World and has worked on most of the Marvel cartoons as well. So uh, done loads of episodes of the Marvel cartoons. So um, these guys are steeped in... The Marvel Comics side, lots of the Marvel cartoons are direct translations of Marvel Comics, so they've got loads of that history. It's really interesting to see them all make the jump over into the into the films with the guiding hand, probably, of, of Christopher Yost, who did Thor The Dark World and worked with these characters specifically. So quite interesting. Uh, movie also, obviously, stars Chris Hemsworth. Yes, from uh, Home and Away. <laughs> Tom Hiddleston. From EastEnders. Kate Blanchett. Broadway. Lords of the Rings and probably The Flying Doctors. Possibly. (laughs) Mark Ruffalo. Um, Friends at some point, probably. And ER. Maybe. I'm not sure whether all of these are accurate. Uh, Idris Elba. Coronation Street. Oh, really? No, I'm messing. (laughs) Jeff Goldblum (laughs) from the world of Jeff Goldblum. Yes, played in Jeff Goldblum, the animated series. Also stars Tessa Thompson as new character Valkyrie. Heartbreak High. Carl Irvin also is in this movie as Scourge. Judge Shredd, the TV series. Yes, Hopefully. and Neighbours. That is a man. Carl Urban is one actor that I just am shocked about his list of movies that he's been in. He was in Star Trek, playing Bones, excellent in those in those films. He was in Judge Dredd, as you mentioned, Chris. Uh, had been in Lord of the Rings as well. He's done loads and loads of stuff, but I'm sure he did start out in Home and Away. <laughs> I'm sure he did. As and, all good actors from Australia have... Well, there's a few that were on Neighbours as well. Or Singers as well. That's true. That's true. And finally, our guest star for the movie, and probably the reason we're covering this is as part of our Summer of Strange, Benedict Cumberbatch reprising his role as Dr. Stephen Strange. Yes, formerly on the hit TV show Emmerdale in the UK. 
<laughs> Stop lying about these characters. <laughs> formerly of Sherlock Holmes, I, I presume. Um, well, not formally, not formally. Okay, so this is really tenuous, listeners. Really sorry, fellow defenders, for this. We wanted to cover this movie. We've covered every single Marvel movie that's come out so far in the cinemas. We're connecting this one into Summer of Strange, obviously. It's very tenuous. But fairness. really, the reason for that is because we didn't cover Thor or Thor The Dark World yet. So uh, we can't have it as part of a Thor retrospective. No, and to be honest, it's, you know, it's moving into that gorgeous space world realm world dream world and mystical world that the marvel universe is taking us um to away from the humdrum of civil wars and and sort of evil nazi-like organizations taking uh over the, the the apparatus of state you know we're moving into like complete balmy crazy kooky mm-hmm. uh, where anything goes the steve ditko universe basically essentially absolutely it's awesome oh and I, I can't complain the one question i did have is i'm wondering with the three writers we had that we mentioned earlier we have christopher we have craig and then we have eric do we think christopher probably did the first draft after coming straight off thor the dark world yeah he probably drafted based on what he wanted to do then we had craig came in with some additional some some of the probably planet hulk knowledge um, the kind of overactual Thor Ragnarok and um, comic book arc knowledge. And then you had Eric Pearson come in at the end to bring in the MCU flavor to tie it all together. Cause he has done, we know he's done the one shots. Yeah. He's yeah. good at pulling those threads apart and like building these smaller films mm-hmm. with a still a, a still an impact on the MCU. Absolutely. It's what it's what launched Agents of Shield and also Agent Carter is the one shot. So um yeah. so yeah, like I, I do yeah, I think that's a really interesting idea. I, I know that Marvel now are kind of working in that T V style with their movies where they have got a writer's room and these people will collaborate together. So I don't think any of them left the project during this process. You're probably right about Christopher Yost. I'm not too sure whether he was involved all the way through or whether this was started off as his draft for the next film and then got taken on by the other two writers but yeah um, but yeah Eric Pearson has got a very big pedigree in TV so he does usually write his episodes alone so and and like I, I do know that um, from listening to kind of Hollywood Babylon and Kevin Smith's Fat Man and Batman etc things mm-hmm. other podcasts around kind of nerdism comic books and more importantly the actual Hollywood there are other podcasts about nerdism other than ours there is I know, but oh I'm not going to say God. their names. Who would have thought? We're going to scrub them from the actual previous part of the podcast. <laughs> Even if Christopher Yost had literally just wrote draft one, mm-hmm. it's like as long as there's a certain percentage of the film that remains in the final film, yeah. he still needs to get writing credit. So there, it, so it could be possible. And that's kind of the reason I was asking, because Thor The Dark World, while financially didn't flop, uh-huh. it's still considered by many, to be one of the weaker MCU films out there. I'd agree, Just yeah. based on based on the, the, the storyline, based on the, the cinematography, the characters, some of the qu- the questions it raised and didn't answer. Yeah. Not saying that I actually enjoyed Thor Dark World. I mm-hmm. watched it recently before watching Ragnarok. Um, it's it's still good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the characters of Tom Hiddleston and Chris Emworth, still fantastic. Um, I do mit, uh, miss... Matt Portman. Uh, I'm putting that out there. And Kat Dennings. 
My yeah, meow meow is excellent. Uh, yeah. Kat Denning <laughs> meow meow was really like good. She, I, she she could have should have been here somehow. I'm just by all I'm saying, they would have the comedy elements of this would have been amazing. Yeah, I, I I agree. And the one big question I have actually after watching the film, and we'll get deep into this, I'm sure, but this really has the feel of a Taika Waititi film. If you watch his other two films, you really have that same sense of humor in the other films that that he's made. And he doesn't get a writing credit in this film. That's one of the ones that I find really odd. I would be very surprised if a lot of the improvisation that happens throughout this film wasn't because of that director allowing the actors do their stuff. Yeah, I mean, this really is a stop and let's start again. I mean, this does feel absolutely uh, a reboot of Thor as a character and uh, of the world in which he inhabits. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I think I think a required reboot because it was starting to get a, a law of diminishing returns, as, as they'd say, in, in the business side of Disney, I'm sure. Uh, John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for Thor Ragnarok? Sure. After his adventures on Earth, Thor has broken out of the prison of Satur, a giant being who wants to bring Ragnarok to Asgard and destroy his home. He returns to Asgard, and upon his arrival, he finds that his brother Loki has replaced Odin as ruler of Asgard, sending their father to a retirement home on Earth. With the help of Dr. Stephen Strange, Loki and Thor locate their father back in his ancestral lands in Norway, only to find he doesn't want to return to the throne, and his time has passed. But he reveals to them that the next in line to the throne is their elder sister, the goddess of death, Hela. As Odin wisps on the ancestral winds, Hela's banishment is broken, and after destroying Meow Meow, she dispatches her brothers to the planet Scar and returns to Asgard to take her place on the throne. On Scar, a war planet ruled by the Grand Master, also known as Jeff Goldblum, Thor is forced to fight for his life in the arena. There he faces his toughest opponent, a fully-powered Hulk. Hulk is happy on Scar, as the people of the land love their champion, Thor must convince Hulk, Loki, and his captor Valkyrie to join with him and return to Asgard to take back their homeland from Hela. To achieve this, they start an uprising against the Grand Master and battle their way back to Asgard and free the inhabitants of their home by using Satur to complete the prophecy of Ragnarok and destroy their homeland. Leaving a destroyed Asgard on a ship carrying the remaining Asgardians, Thor takes his seat as the Allfather of Asgard as they search for a new planet to call home. But I suppose the first question quickly to ask is, do you think they actually find home given that there's a huge lurking massive spaceship that is kind of upon this teeny tiny little uh, Asgardian shuttle? Um, It'd be interesting if they escape Ragnarok only to be blown out of the universe by um, Thanos's rage and anger. You are, of course, speaking about the post credits scene. I am. I, leaping back, yes. Right to the end of the film, John. Good man. <laughs> Spoiled everything for everyone. So, I love it. But this is spoiler-filled. It so is. if it you is. haven't watched Thor Ragnarok, please head on over, watch it in 2, 3, or 4D. If you haven't watched Thor Ragnarok and listened through uh, the synopsis there, um, we have ruined it for you, and I'm really sorry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, we'll, we'll probably get into uh, the after effects of what happens after this movie uh, a little bit later. But as always, we cover the films with our top five points. And I think with our first point, we go to the passing of their father, 
Odin. Mm-hmm. Thor and Loki then have to take on their sister Hela in a battle for the throne of Asgard, which plays out fairly sporadically, actually, mm-hmm. um, where obviously Thor and Loki have been banished to Scar, but then Hela heads on back to um, Asgard, where really she's not welcomed with open arms by any stretch of the imagination. Um, like she's been banished by Odin, who's put a, a really powerful spell upon her to banish her to the nether regions of the the universe somewhere. Mm-hmm. So I had some problems about how they handled the Odin storyline here. Okay. Um, and it's not, no, it's not problems. It's just more, well, well first of all, the, the, the glaringly obvious CGI um, during the passing of Odin is something we need to discuss. Definitely. Um, we'll, let's yeah, get to that now. Um, so originally this was filmed in New York City, mm-hmm. where he- Hela appears, was her first Odin dies. Mm-hmm. Um, they find him in the Shady Acres, which is the exact same name of the retirement community that Stan Marsh's um, father or grandfather lives in in South Park, by the way. <laughs> nice nod. I like it. Um, but it, so they, they get him there. They bring him, they, they find him wandering in New York City alleyway. He dies there mm-hmm. and, then they Hella appears in the. It's the one that most people saw in the trailers, the TV spots. Right. She's in an alleyway. She catches Minor and destroys it there. Right. I had a problem with the CGI. So Taika had said that the reason he did this in post production was um, the sights and sounds of New York City took away from the poignant moment of the passing of their father. Mm-hmm. So he moved it to Norway. I get that. Yeah, me too. Why did he not just then pull the four actors to Norway and film for two days to do that scene? Mm. Rather than in post-production, CGI it. And it wasn't nicely CGI'd. For all the beautiful Hulk CGI, everything we saw um, throughout this film, the background of Norway looked green-screened. It's amazing how much it takes away from the scene uh, yeah. to me. It's, and I don't like starting the, the movie on a, on a negative note. I don't like starting the review on the negative note. But it absolutely stood out. I kept questioning myself. I, we watched it in 2D. It wasn't 3D or IMAX or anything like that. We watched it in regular 2D screen. And I was looking at the scene going, why did they put these guys in, in, a, in a green screen room and then stick it over a... CGI version of Norway. Why didn't they just go to Norway? It's not that difficult. But then again, they did film a lot of this in different countries, and maybe just Norway wasn't on on yeah. the schedule. Like I, I do understand that, but it does look so bad. And if it does look that bad, you certainly don't have your main character Odin stretch his hands out and go look at the beauty of this wonderful environment. You don't call it. Yeah, out. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it was kind of. I, I agree with you, Chris. It was a really nice idea. And, and I would definitely be in agreement with it. You know, this idea of bringing it back onto Earth, to, to Scandinavia, to Norway, to that kind of ancestral, um, poignant home of, of Odin and his forebearers and, and, and so on. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it looked like a cheap cosmetic advert uh, going on behind. Um, or I was thinking it, Scottish it, Widows. Yeah, like the, the <laughs> colour palette actually reminded me slightly of Big Fish, um, which was, you know, with Ewan McGregor and mm-hmm. so on. And But that purposefully had took on that kind of surreal, um, fairly distinguished um, sort of 
look to it. Uh, and this Thor didn't really have that. And then all of a sudden you had this really strange uh, situation where, yeah, unfortunately, you, it was kind of fairly glaring, really. However, I loved the sentiment of where it was being done. And yeah. I, I really liked the idea of him kind of just disintegrating and, and wisping away, as I said in the synopsis, on, on the, the winds in this kind of ancestral heartland so i mean as a choice completely agree with it yeah um it just yeah i suppose if it's in post-production the budgets run out or whatever maybe it just yeah was easier you know time schedules whatever it may have been it was just easier to do it this way but you do think that given that they could make space look more um realistic than norway norway was really <laughs> It was really weird. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Look, like Derek, I don't like starting a podcast with a negative. I just wanted to get the, the glaring one that I've heard from everyone out of the way. Because, as John said, the passing was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like, it was a poignant piece where you had two estranged brothers that have tried to kill each other a fair few times oh, yeah. come together. Um, and kind of find their father. They, we still got some beautiful comedic scenes in between, like while they were on the, the, the search for Odin. And then the end, when we first seen Hela, like that was a, like just a fantastic, by the way, Kate Blanchett is just amazing in this. I don't care. Some, I've heard some people say that she stole, um, chewed the scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've heard some say that Hela is your typical MCU villain, but we we'll get to that later. Yep, we will. Um, I I disagree slightly with both of those comments, but um, first of all, just in this those three scenes, so the the lead up to find Odin, finding Odin, and the death of Odin, and then the introduction of Hela. Mm-hmm. I love this as an opening. Yep. This was a fun ride with essentially a big. Boom at the end of your opening first act. Yeah, and, and also just quickly as well to tie it back. I mean, I think if you are changing up the look of Thor, um, the dynamics of Thor and the people who he's around, then actually this scene with Odin, um, obviously played by Anthony Hopkins, Odin moving away into Valhalla uh, is is a really important thing for you know the previous movies that happened before uh, and giving significance to this change now where Thor is rocking it up uh, with uh, his own way of doing things you know he doesn't have his father to to bring him into line uh, and so on anymore and he won't have Mjolnir to to use as we see throughout this film so this is our big point about Thor and Loki really so I think this is also a good time to talk about the, the big change that's happened here. This is a comedy movie. This is an out-and-out comedy movie. And I think the character that really suffers the biggest change here is probably Thor. He's been a very serious, stoic character. There was a little bit in, in uh, the first Thor film, there was a little bit of a fish-out-of-the-water stuff with him learning how Earth works. What we see at the start of this film is they, they kind of give a bit of a throwaway explanation for the fact that he's a bit more worldly because he's been living on Earth. He's broken up with Jane Foster. They're no longer together. He's kind of been going on a search for himself. So he's no longer this character that has no idea what's going on on Earth. So a lot of funny moments in there, a lot of self-reflective moments, and he's changed a lot as a character from the previous movies, which I think is a good choice. Loki's always had a good comedy bent on him, a nice little comedy timing with many of the films that he's been in before, so it's not as huge a change for him, but 
quite a significant shift for the movie to move them into the world of just of one-liners and, and comedy all the time. Definitely. I, I really enjoyed um, Thor's change here. Chris Hemsworth, I think, does a really good job of this character. In some ways, I wonder whether they overcooked it with the humor. I love Taika Waititi's sense of humor. I loved it in Hunt for the Wilder People, and I loved it in, in his vampire sort of flick as well. Really, really good. And I really enjoyed it in here. Um, but there were moments where... Um, for Thor, I was thinking, are you now just the wisecrack Thor, where it just has to be uh, a one-liner each time? Or at one point in the movie, I did think, is this just going to be a movie of gags? And is the story going to move on? I had that moment here, and I'm not going to pretend otherwise. I did have that, and I really enjoy it. But when it's saturated with it, and when some of the the, the one-line gags maybe just didn't hit, it, it was quite jarring. Um, and I think sometimes Thor had that for me here. But nonetheless, I really enjoyed um, how he's been uh, rebooted here. I, I really liked the fact that he came back with Loki, that they were able to kind of sort through their, their previous brotherly sort of fights and um, i really like that and of course he he gets a haircut as well so to come to the point where you kind of about, about the comedy i think what we're 17 18 films in now uh, 18 with uh, black panther right yeah we are beyond the the generic genre of a superhero film yes and I, i'm very happy for that yeah me too this started this started with atman mm-hmm. atman is an espionage uh, heist film that's what Ant-Man is. It's a heist film with a superhero element to it. This is a buddy cop comedy with a superhero element to it and yes. a setting. I am glad Marvel have got to that point. It is all wrapped in a comedy for this. And that's what I, I found on your point, John, about the jokes. And I'll, I'll kind of pass back to you because I know we're going to end up... We, we already, we've already talked about this about slightly off air. Yes, I agree that some of the jokes don't land. Yeah, but it's a quantity game, and he has it's he has the quality. The jokes are funny. Absolutely. If the joke doesn't land with you within another five seconds to ten seconds or thirty seconds, there's going to be another one that will. Mm-hmm. No, I get. And that. I think that's the interesting point. No, I understand that, and I actually really liked the humor. I think. Taika Waititi's uh, humor, I think it plays really well, especially um, sort of in Ireland and the UK. It, it it's really familiar that sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it it's witty. It it's a bit on the nose. It's a bit dangerous as well. It's pushing the envelope for Marvel. I really enjoyed that. I think though there was a moment where I actually got saturated with the joke. That's okay. all. That's all I meant. Not that they didn't necessarily play, although I think there were a few maybe that didn't necessarily hit the mark for me. But um, it's more that it was every um, scene seemed to have Thor doing a gag, having to do a gag, yeah. and it, it so it it became less about the comedy and more like is this how he speaks now in gags? Mm-hmm. Um, that's not how anyone speaks, let alone the the God of Thunder. And certainly when I think. The really great thing about this movie for me with regards to the, the central character Thor was that, you know, his M- Mjolnir 
uh, Meow Meow has been the thing that has defined him. You know, that he's the only one that can pick it, throw it, spin it, fly it, whatever. Um, And here, it's you're more than Meow Meow. You are um, the god of thunder. And I absolutely adored um, him taking up the power of thunder and it it reflecting in his eyes. I just thought that was so cool. Really good. And that, to me, was when I was like, this is a Thor movie. This is the god of thunder. And that's the thing. I, I think it was that contrast between those okay. two elements yeah. that that just kind of undermined it for me, but not in a bad way. It didn't undermine the film for me. It didn't undermine Thor the character, but um, I was just glad he brought it back to that really meaningful uh, meatiness where he is summoning the power of thunder uh, and lightning as his character does. And I, I thought the the image of his eyes glowing this bright, hot white um, was just fantastic. That's I so absolutely cool. love that. That's a, that's a true comic book Thor image, that moment. Yeah, as definitely. He gets, as he gets the lightning and the power into his body, it's very cool. Uh, one slight correction. You kept saying eyes. I don't think... Don't you mean eye? Eventually. Well, eventually eye, yes. Well, that's true. <laughs> and that's the other thing, yeah. Um, getting one of his eyeballs whipped out by Hela. Yeah. Derek, we haven't heard much from you on this. What's your, what's your view on the comedy? What's your view on the, the kind of evolution of Thor? One of the things that I think I've said before about Taika Watiti's previous films is that I do think there's a level of comedy in his films that feels like it needs another pass by another comedy writer to take out some of the gags that don't work, to, to massage the comedy a little bit more. There's some elements within what we do in the shadows that have you rolling on the floor laughing, and then it's another half an hour before another gag hits while every character's trying. I think what makes this film different to the other Marvel films, if you look at this in comparison to probably the, the closest in, in kind, which is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Yep. That's the other comedy film they've done so far, but not every character in the movie is playing it as a comedy, whereas this film does feel like every single character you come across is given their comedy moment. Valkyrie's storyline is actually quite a serious storyline, yet she has to have comedy moments throughout the film as well. Um, it feels like he's, he doesn't, he's unwilling to give characters really serious moments. He has to give them comedy moments all the time. And, and while that's great and there are some, some moments that really make me laugh out loud when I think, even thinking back on them, really good moments, there's some of the characters that could have done with having some more serious lines and more serious moments. So I think he was the right choice to reboot the franchise and do something brand new with Thor. I do think it needed a little bit more work to get it to a proper comedy movie. But not really the fault of the cast and not really the fault of the director. I just think it needed a little bit of an extra pass to make it a five-star film. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about the the dialogue scenes and so on, but, I mean, TW didn't actually write this. Um, mm-hmm. Just to let you know, I have had so many problems trying to um, pronounce uh, Taika Waititi's name, so I'm going to abbreviate it to TW. Just call him Taika. It's really simple. Taika so that's kind of the hero story, what, what's happening with Thor and Loki as their father passes away and now they have to have battle on their hands for the throne of Asgard. Something that Loki got pretty easily by just replacing Odin and sticking him into a retirement home. Uh, let's go on to the villains of the film. Yeah, so there's two villains in this movie, and but both have very different plans. These aren't two villains that are doing things together and working together for a common goal. We have Hela, obviously, played by Kate Blanchett, and we have the Grand Master, played by Jeff Goldblum, um, both on different planets, no no combination between the two what did you think of hella first off for myself here i'm I, I love the character with the mcu there is a slight issue some might say um, around um, one-dimensional villains in the films and that is fine i can see uh, a lot of the naysayers points 
I understand where they're coming from. People are saying this about Hela, and I'm actually disagreeing so far on this one. Really? Hela mm-hmm. is actually a daughter scorned. Absolutely. Uh, that is the character. She sat at the this right-hand side of Odin for her whole life. Um, she was her his main commander. We find that Odin actually conquered the Seven Kingdoms. Yeah, yeah. Didn't actually bring peace. He conquered them with a, like a massive war. And she was there as his main commander. She forged along. He, she, she was his greatest weapon. Yeah. Um, and he then had a change of heart and decided to essentially like banish her. Yeah, because she didn't. Exactly. And in fairness, to be completely clear here, she is the rightful heir to the throne. She is... Odin's eldest child, so she does have the right to the yes. throne. It's only because she's been banished. So it it is that he took away that right from her and banished her. So she she is the rightful heir to the throne. Absolutely. Like I actually really thought the whole scenes where she's taking down the mural that has been put over the the previous mural of their sort of crushing victories in the other um, realms. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really, really cool. I thought that was... Because it actually makes you question Odin. Okay, he looked and felt benevolent, but ultimately he was exactly the same as Hela. Yeah, he, he was um, a conqueror, uh, and she never lost that, whereas he felt he had to take a different turn and because she didn't she was banished you know it it was kind of like alexander the great or something suddenly going right i'm not going to go any further and effectively banishing all his generals who helped him get that far yeah so she as you say chris absolutely a woman scorned and i think with them changing up thor this removal of that that sort of mural on the ceiling i thought was really really um good it, it, it was this kind of lifting the veil on the lie that odin had um presented uh, so that he could maintain his power it's that kind of idea that you know the victors rewrite or or write the history that supports their place and how they want to so i thought that was really cool and she's got a different place i thought that was massively cool and i think um like you chris i've heard that people are saying that she was too comedic and i actually think on this one for her character she wasn't for me i must say when she had picked um scourge as her sort of right hand man i think she was calling him uh, the executioner yeah uh, her executioner it was i love the fact that you know he was about to kill someone in order to get the the inhabitants of asgard to to talk and then in the in the end someone kind of steps forward and and dishes the dirt on where everyone's hiding and so she doesn't get her bloodlust and she does a roll of the eyes there which i absolutely just loved it's fine and i was thinking well okay you can maybe see where loki possibly got it from yes he is actually um from the ice king but i mean you know brought up in that in that world he knows you know, there's a family trait there of just sort of um, real sort of irreverence yeah. and like going, oh, I wanted that 
axe to work. <laughs> exactly. Why didn't it just slice off this person's head? Yeah. It would have been my adrenaline rush for the day. Um, and I, I thought she worked really, really well. I, um, I think I mean, you said it really well, Chris, that, that it was described as she chews the scenery, and she really does. Like, it's, chewing the scenery is something that a, that a big character and a big actress can do or a big actor can do. Kate Blanchett is great in this role. It's every time the camera's on her, which doesn't actually feel that much. It feels like she only gets about 25 minutes of a two-hour, 20-minute film. So she's only on screen for a reasonably short amount of time. But she does make an impression because you really want to see how crazy she's going to go, go on these Asgardians who have who have gone to, you know, tea dances and plays and stuff that she <laughs> would never want to be involved in. She's the goddess of death and she's here to kill. But when she wipes out all the warriors that was so funny because it was just like she's kind of like uh look i'm giving you a chance here okay well are you gonna like support me or not i think one of the warriors three is there at the front um is it hogan uh and yeah i mean he ends up with a fairly brutal death Mm -hmm. i suppose um being sort of lanced through through his body. Yeah. What were the things that she shot out? Were they pipe cleaners or swords or like jagged rock or something? They were swords. It feels like jagged rock, or yeah, it's definitely bit, something really spiky. Yeah. And I know, I know, we didn't. None of us got to see this in three D, but I think this was the big concession to three D. These spiky things coming out of the screen. I can imagine how those would have looked in in three D as all of these people get skewered left, right, and center. Um, particularly as you say, Hogan, which has the it. Lo- it does look like spiky rocks coming from the ground through his body and just skewering him. Uh, that's definitely definitely one of the moments um, of of the film. Can I just add one one point in here? Uh, about Kate Blanchett, you would not expect her coming from Curious Case of Benjamin Button to Lord of the Rings. You would think she's done with these high CGI'd. Like the last couple of films for her have been more dramatic, more serious. Absolutely, she's come on to back to a a, a film franchise, mm-hmm. which she may very well be one of the very biggest bads for this whole MCU. Um, but we can talk about that theory later. Yeah, let's let's see how how she survives or whether she survives. <laughs> yeah. Yes, um, I know I know what you mean, Chris. But I do think Kate Blanchett has always been one of these people that's kind of up for a bit of a laugh. If you've ever seen yeah. some of the kind of some of the comedy sketches she's done with SNL or or those kind of things, she very much is a person that's up for a laugh. A lot of her movie roles are very serious and have been very serious. But it does feel like this movie attracted a lot of people who wanted to have a lot of fun on set. A little um, cameo in Hot Fuzz as well. Really, really funny yeah, really good yeah I about that. yeah um but let's go on to the other villain jeff i mean the grand master um does he have a character <laughs> no he doesn't i mean this is the best this is basically jeff <laughs> this is the jeff we know and love absolutely but it's just if, changed into a character yeah it's if jeff but goldblum got the hulk treatment and got jettisoned into space and landed on a planet this is the planet he'd set up <laughs> isn't it one that, <laughs> one that he controls and is at the center of and i don't mean any disrespect to jeff goldblum i've loved him in all of his films this is just a great jeff goldblum performance is what even I mean, really. the reboot of independence day I've never seen the reboot. Well, <laughs> so the, the sequel. All the films you've seen. I all think. the films I've seen, yes. Clarify, yeah. Um, yeah, I suppose at least he didn't bring the jazz piano um, to Scar. Um, I think you'll find there is a scene where he's standing he behind the piano with his band playing a song. Uh, he also has his birthday song, which he sings as well. So he definitely did bring the jazz piano uh, to Scar as well. What a shame. Yeah, I mean, 
I love Jeff Goldblum, and I have to say, I loved him as the Grandmaster. I love, I love him in this. I love uh, his sidekick Topaz. I think their interaction together, where again she just looks like the suffering um, second in command and sidekick and helper to to this kind of slightly bumbling fool who's also a bit psychotic with his um with his melting stick um i really really enjoyed uh him in this movie yeah. so much i thought he brought that little bit of jeff goldblum uh je ne sais quoi to uh to the proceedings i loved it when thor was brought in and he was kind of magnetized down on the chair and he, you've just got Jeff Goldblum there, rubbing his fingers, um, doing his ums and ahs, just and with the sidekick with with Topaz, really, it was just a really really cool interaction. It, yeah. it felt so good, and you kind of got the sense underneath as well, certainly from the arena scenes that he was also a bit psychotic. Oh yeah, um, you know, a, a bit unhinged and a bit crazy, and it just played really well for me. I, I have to say, um, I really liked him in this. Like, what, what does he call his his slaves? Uh, oh no, they're not slaves. They're fighters with a job, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, just like I do like him, but just to show that the movie even treats him like his character doesn't even have an arc. The end of the revolution that is kicked off by Thor and and Hulk and Valkyrie when they leave, and the rest of the characters when they leave, the end of that revolution is held over for a post credit scene. You know, we don't. They have a revolution against this character, and in the post credit scene, we find out that he has crash landed, and all of the people that are that have started the revolution are surrounding him. That's that's how little his character arc seems to mean in the film. Yeah, and that he's then going to try and talk his way out of it, I which is again just so funny. I love that. Chris, do you have anything else on Hella or the Grandmaster? Just looking at the the Grandmaster himself, I, I agree with you guys. I, I kind of love him. I love the chops that he brings. The, the a, a nice Easter egg is that the you people may notice that the the slightly blue painted lip um, looks like another character we may have seen across the MCU already. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed, the Collector and Grandmaster are siblings um, in this universe, and actually beyond that, um, they are elders of the universe, which ha- have been these galactic mystical band of six immortal beings who are constantly playing games with each other trying to one-up each other to the point where in some of the comic books each of them have infinity stones for a while and they use them to fight each other interesting i do not think this is the end of jeff at all yeah he he could talk himself out of any situation definitely (laughs) yeah i want to see him with benicio del toro that was can you imagine the two of them just trying to talk to each other oh like the scene would take 30 minutes but I do, I do like how he calls out this idea of him being an immortal. He's effectively saying that on another planet he'd be dead by now, but here he's hundreds and hundreds of years old because the planet is keeping him alive and at this age. So that's quite a cool, a cool way of kind of MCUing the idea of him being immortal. We don't really have that many immortals outside of the Asgardians, so um, so quite a nice little touch there. I think we need to get on to. Point three, because point three is our biggest point, as always. It's the supporting characters of the film. Um, first up, Scourge. We've mentioned him a few times, Carl Urban. Um, Scourge is quite a significant character in this and goes through a good arc, actually. Yeah. Um, he starts off as as kind of taking care of the position that has been vacated by Heimdall. He's, he's in control of the Rainbow Bridge, uh, which is the place where people are transported uh, back and forth. Through and the then, Bifrost. Through the Bifrost, exactly. Um, and then... 
as Hella arrives and slaughters everybody around her, he kind of kowtows to her and joins her side of the of the gang because he feels like he's never been given the chance in in the Asgardian race to make a mark, and his mark is going to be to well kill them all. Yeah, but the thing I really like about how Carl Urban plays this is that even though he's, as you say, he's never been given the chance, and here is Hella giving him that chance, when it comes to actually killing like when he's there with the axe about you know trying to threaten the asgardians to to give up the secret of where heimdall and the resistance are Mm -hmm. he's reluctant to 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 swing the axe like he really doesn't want to do this and he i really love that sense where he feels hella's gaze on him but he's stood in front of a gang of or or, a crowd of asgardians Uh, and he he's really just absolutely relieved then when someone comes racing forward to reveal where Heimdall and the Resistance are. Yeah. Um, and I, I really liked how he played that. I love his machine guns. Um, at the end, his, his hero moment, um, I just thought was really, really cool. As he gets um, Des and Troy out, yeah. Yeah, and uh, what was the the joke at the start where he goes, I got these in Texas, um, where <laughs> guns are a big thing. So a nice little sort of rude joke there, you know, mm-hmm. which I thought was, was good. And I liked how his two machine guns were there in the credits in, in the animation for his character when he came up. I just thought it was an... It's a nice little touch there, mm-hmm. um, I thought, with, with Carl Urban. Yeah, they played this role really well. Really, really enjoyed him in the movie. From my side... I've always enjoyed Scourge as a character in the comic books. And this this has kind of brought him to life a bit for me. Mm-hmm. He was created way back in like 1964 when um, I think it was like Jack Kirby and Stanley did Journey into Mystery 103, I mm-hmm. believe. He didn't really come into his own. Again, similar to Hela, who actually came, Hela was first introduced in the Journey into Mystery 102. Right, literally just the the issue before. One issue before, right? Um, and boy, she's always had that crazy headdress, by the way. Uh-huh. But he was introduced one after. There was some kind of connection there, but again, like both characters, it wasn't until Walt Simonson took over Thor run um, that really it, did we get to see anything interesting done with these two characters. Right, right. Um, so interestingly enough, Walt Simonson did the. Scourge holding the two M16s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He did that in Thor 362 as well. Right. He originally had hammers. He, he was very Asgardian, yada, mm-hmm. yada, yada. It was ever since then, he's always had this, like, some form of gun, be it M16 or a big Gatling gun or something like that. Right. Carl Urban brought this character to life. It's very good. And I really, really mean that in the best possible way. Yeah. He's a supporting character. He's there meant for one or two jokes. He's there as a plot device. And a janitor. And a janitor. Yes, correct. When you're a supporting character, you have two ways of going down the route. You can either just be there, be very forgettable, and no one will talk about your character or or this uh, this character or this um, this part of your acting career ever again. Or you as an actor can kind of really jump into this as a supporting character. You really play it well. You Mm -hmm. deliver the lines. And that's what Carl Urban did. Just make it his own. Yeah, absolutely. He really did. He he did this with a different role, such as Judge Dredd. Mm -hmm. Now he's done it with with Scourge. Like, he very much is this guy who just wants fame. He just wants accolade. And because of that, he falls in with Hella. 
Yeah. And yeah. he becomes exactly. her executioner. And then he has the redemption. Yeah. And then he shows that conflict really well. Absolutely. Yes. And speaking of characters that jump in and make a role their own, Tessa Thompson as Valkyrie in this film is fabulous. I love this other female lead. I think she's Definitely. really, really good. She is never called Valkyrie in this. She is the last of the Valkyries. That's correct. Yes. She's, been, she's just been referred to as Valkyrie in some of the uh, in some of the PO Prom- material. Promotional. The, the character doesn't actually get a name in the film. They just kind of call her call her out as being a member of the Valkyries in the past. So, yep, yeah, I'm, I'm going to call her yeah, Valkyrie. She is. She referred to Scrapper One Four Two. Right. Which is because Valkyrie in her previous form, not the rebooted version, was mm-hmm. first shown in The Incredible Hulk 142. I like it. I like it. Yeah. So, um, but she's not. She will be. She will become Valkyrie. She is going to be become Valkyrie. But in, in some of the, the, the international promotional stuff, she's called Valkyrie, um, but not directly in the film. Just had to get that out there because that was just a point. Well, we are an international podcast covering two time zones and watching the film in a third. So, uh, yeah. But she is brilliant here. I love her interaction with Hulk. I love her interaction with Thor. The fact that she doesn't want to go back and save her homeland of Asgard, given that she used to be one of the main protectors for um, for the planet. I love how she plays it. I love her being hard drinking. Um, I love how she watches the fight as she flies her ship up above the fight unlike anybody else on the planet of Scar and just sits there drinking the whole way through while she's watching these people get killed and, and fight each other. So uh, I, I, I like how she's carved out her own life and her own character and isn't just a love interest in here. You know, she seems like a she has her own character arc and she will be the one, like most heroes, journeys, as you spoke about earlier on, Chris, she is the one that has is a fallen hero and will come back into their own. Yeah, I, I, I think that the interesting thing with this is this character... We'll call her Valkyrie for the MCU, okay? The MCU Valkyrie is not the Valkyrie of the comic books. That is Brunhilde. She is a blonde. We actually see her in flashback. in the, the, the Hella flashback. Mm-hmm. Tessa Thompson climbs over her, uh, or this female character, who we, we assume we can make assumption that this is supposed to be Brunhilde, the original Valkyrie. This Tessa Thompson Valkyrie, I really like, mm-hmm. because... There's nothing better than a broken hero. Yeah. And I, I, I don't mean that in a very sadistic way. I mean that she doubts herself. She has this redemption arc in the beginning of this film, at the end of this film. She, we see her, the, the, the interplaying relationship between the two broken characters of herself and Thor. While she, and actually even better, her relationship with Hulk. Is just is fantastic. She is it's a great. warrior. Yeah, yeah. She's a she's one of the warriors. Definitely. Of she is the Valkyrie. Yet she but hasn't not the Valkyrie. been able. <laughs> she is now the MCU Valkyrie, but she was one of the Valkyries. The Valkyries were supposed to bring the the fallen dead to uh, Valhalla. Mm-hmm. That's where the Valkyries in Norse mythology came from. They were warrior women. They were very the Amazons, if you will. Yeah, they they were the warrior women that went into battle. Speaking of which, yes. I love I love that moment with Thor trying to be as PC as he possibly can and explain that he loves the fact that there are warrior women. I mean, people like you that fight. I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> I love that I, I, when, he, when he's trying to be PC. You know, it's 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 not a Thor thing to do. So. Yeah, I mean, for me, um, this is my favorite character from the entire film. Right. Um, I think that. She has the best um, storyline. I, I really do. I think, as you say, she, she's the tr- 
drinking. She's trying to forget her past, which is effectively she has some kind of PTSD of some description because of the battle that she and Broomhalla had to go into to destroy uh, Hela, um, that she lost her, her comrades in arms, you know, this tight-knit warrior uh, women um, together like the Asgardian warriors. And she's the only way for her to deal with this, to cope with that, um, is to become this Scrapper 142, to, to go around Hide using it. her skills, yet yeah, hiding out away from Asgard. Um, she's She's drinking heavy she's keeping her true identity under wraps because she's been broken and i really really enjoyed how her her story arc moved through in this movie um to uh you know she again she's connecting with the incredible hulk again someone who has left where he was born because um for different reasons and escaped a scar where he's found an acceptance a peace um and like her i really enjoyed uh, all of this um this story of Tessa Thompson's. I think she's the the most complex, most well-developed of all the characters in this movie. But she's seen through by Hulk and by Thor to mend herself. And I, I think that's really... Uh, I thought it was a great uh, bit of storytelling. I thought it was what the best character in this movie had real depth, real meaning. Um, and she was funny as hell. I absolutely adored Tessa Thompson uh, as Valkyrie in, in this movie. My favorite comedy moment from her is when she's joining up with Thor and says, no, I thought I was going to join you. I'm not going to stop the hard drinking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> really uh, I, I love the chase uh, on the, the, the spaceships as well mm-hmm. through Scar. I love the fact you get the fireworks coming out of the Grandmaster's ship in order as a decoy because it's got no weapons. Uh, and, and you've got... Um, you know the grandmaster's right hand lady they're chasing chasing her down and stuff that's really good. really good but really yeah good. I, I think tessa thompson absolutely knocks this out of the park for me yeah i really really enjoyed it yeah if there's going to be the proposed female-led super team coming up with with valkyrie in there and with captain marvel in there i'm i'm totally up for it i'd love to see more of this character It'd be really cool and um, there are so many supporting characters in here we kind of have to pause and comment about sif and the warriors three sent four central characters from the previous two movies dispatched quite quickly i can't believe they even got them in the costumes to dispatch them some of them were gone so quick we had volstag and fandral who were very central parts of some of the previous movies both getting taken out instantly with with knives through the chest as uh, as hella arrives in asgard for me i honestly was expecting something like dr strange to use the time stone and reverse that because they were taken out so fast and were so important in the previous movies. At least Hogan got a moment where he has, where backed by the army of Asgard, he gets to take the fight to Hela and she shows how powerful she is. Like, at least there's a, there's one moment of heroicism from him, but the other two are just killed almost off screen. Probably like yep. Sif, who we don't even get a moment with. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, this, and we don't even get a mention. There's not even a mention except for the opening play, which we'll talk about later on in our notes. But there is there is a reference to the fact that Sif is part of the Warriors 3. She's the leader of the Warriors 3 uh, in the opening play at the beginning of the film. And then to not even have the character in the yeah, rest of the yeah. film just made no sense. I think there was a really rough treatment uh, of, of these characters in this movie. Um, whether it was coming from producer, director, head honcho at Marvel, who knows. But I thought it was real short shrift mm. um, of, of, of this movie to treat them as characters that really had no meaning. I mean, it kind of goes back to my point that um, 
with victory, the history has changed. In this case, it's the narrative has changed. These these don't mean anything mm-hmm. uh, in in relation to um, what's gone before. And I think it would have been nice, at least from a fan point of view, I think, to have given them, you know, why not have all four of them uh, set against Healer um, like Hogan was at the start? I th- and I think it comes down to the fact that, you know, we keep talking about Heimdall and the Resistance. The res- Resistance didn't really feel like much to me in this movie, despite it kind of getting a relatively big play in terms of its importance. And I think if you had woven um, these four characters, Sif and the Warriors 3, into that resistance and given them a bit of a meaningful uh, resistance to Hela, that would have been absolutely awesome for these characters. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play a bit of a, a, a game here, if you will. We know Zachary Levi, mm-hmm. since Thor has come out, has been cast as Captain Marvel uh, Shazam in the DCEU. That's right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Do we think that he probably may be told guys in in Marvel and it was like, hey, I'm going to be playing Shazam in DCU and they were like, well, you can't play both. And they, that, that was that. Do you know what? It's good speculation, Chris. We'll never know the answer to that. But I still think regardless, they could have given him a send off after. Well, he was only he only did one film. He was the he was the second version of Fandral. He was the second Fandral. Correct. Yeah. So so he he still should have gotten a send off, though, as as should Valtag. We're going to go on to Handel in a minute because obviously he is quite a major player in this film. But I do agree with you, John, having Sif, the Warriors three and Handel leading a resistance as opposed to Heimdall putting everybody in Asgard into a room and him being the only member of the resistance did seem odd. Or at least, if you're going to take them out, take them out in a big battle. Have them leading the army yep. of Asgard along with Hogan and take all four of them out at the same time. It, it should also be known, Jamie Alexander, who plays Sif, came out uh, two, three days ago before it launched in the US. Because obviously this has gotten a lot of press. I'm not surprised, yeah. The Sif and Warriors 3's departure and Hamdahl's and the Resistance Jamie Alexander said that she would have liked to have been part of this, but it was literally a scheduling yep. issue. She plays the main character in the TV show Blindspot, and uh, it was a scheduling issue. And um, she said there was a point where they they nearly made it work, but at that it, there was just no one wanted to at that point in the mm-hmm. late filming. Uh, so they just went, "Okay, we'll figure it out." Obviously, that slipped up, and it was like, "Oh, we'll we'll write a piece in later," and she'll. We'll, we'll figure it out that someone forgot that. Yeah. They could, also, they could always bring her back. They could always say she was off-world on some adventure and, uh, and bring her back in the future, I suppose. But I think that's potentially what they will do. I think that they'll, they'll bring her into the event, female Avengers or into Avengers Infinity War 4 or 5, whichever way we could see it. Yeah, or maybe they could have done some form of post-production filming like they did with Odin in uh, the cosmetic advert. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, it would have been nice to have seen them, definitely. I even think with Heimdall as well, just moving on to... Uh, to this supporting character it, it was kind of at the start I was going okay where's he gone where's he gone and you kind of mm-hmm. realize he must have known that Loki had replaced um, Odin and, and was hiding off and so you know develops this resistance uh, then against uh, Hela when she comes and takes over um, Asgard I love the fact that he was still in this and had more prominent role but again it felt like you know the resistance 
seemed quite tame. It, it felt more of a rescue, uh, you know, the start of a rescue mission, really, rather than a true resistance. Yeah. And I did like how he connected in with Thor whilst he was on Scar. Uh, that that whole idea of that connection, I thought, was really good uh, with this. I would have loved to have seen more Heimdall, though, to be honest. I think this is the most we've had of Heimdall in, in the film so far, and I think this is probably what suits him best. He's probably got the most serious storyline, and I know I wrote it in our notes as Heimdall and the Resistance. I agree with you, John. There's no resistance here. This is Heimdall is the Resistance. He's the one that's saving the families, the kids, the wives, the non-fighters of, of Asgard, saving them and keeping them away. The one thing I didn't like about the storyline, only thing I didn't like, when Thor and, and Valkyrie and Hulk... And Loki arrive back to the planet. They arrive back into Asgard on a ship from another planet and instantly go, oh, look, there's an area that's uh, of heat. That must be where (laughs) they all are. Hela has been looking for these guys for like a month and a half. And they come back with one piece of equipment from another planet and go, oh, there they all are over there. Let's just go join them. Heat signatures in in the mountain. Yeah. Yeah. It's the only thing I didn't like about it. But I do think it's the right choice here to give Idris Elba a great actor give him a bit of meat and let him be the leader of this group and the savior of this group. I think that was a nice choice because in the past he has effectively just been somebody with contact lenses in who kind of knows the future and knows what's going on in the other realms. So it was a nice choice to give him something cool. Yeah, definitely. So John, can we give you the next character since this is the summer of strange question mark smiley face kind of tie in. What do you think of our second appearance of Dr. Stephen Strange? Yeah, I was really pleased to see, um, a nice little section devoted to uh, Thor and Doctor Strange meeting up. Obviously, we'd seen um, this this hookup in the the post credit scenes after the Doctor Strange movie with the beer and so on. It was odd that that was actually still in this movie. That that post credit scene was still there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I loved all the other stuff where he's just sort of moving them around the Sanctum Santorum by his magic, and, and Thor's gradually. It looks like he, you know, he's getting more and more seasick as he goes through it. Yeah, kind of asking, you know, will you stop this now? Uh, I really like that. The one thing I really hope they do get rid of the gloves. Um, right. I think the gloves is one of those things that works in the comic books. Um, I'm not entirely sure it works on a, a live action movie. Certainly or, those type of gloves. Yeah, or yeah. tone down the gloves or, yeah. or something like that. Like I can um, see he's a surgeon who's broken his hands and they've been reformed. It is his it is his weakness really is the, is the hands. So of course you'd want to cover them up. It yeah. makes logical sense. But yeah, the, the shiny yellow gloves... Little like little too marigold. It did look like he was about to do the washing up. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I I love that they kept you know his the theme with his sparks and doing the rings, and I loved his kind of. I, I love the more Celtic uh, Viking symbol that he, he produced. I loved his treatment of Loki, where Loki really thinks this is a little pipsqueak, um, and goes to stab him, and he just like out goes the circle and transfers him to Odin mm-hmm. in Norway. Really like that. I really enjoyed how Thor interacted uh, with him as well. It was great to see Thor with his umbrella. Yeah, that's, that's kind of a reference to Donald Blake, isn't it? From yeah, the exactly. early comic yes. books, he used to carry around uh, the transformed version of Mjolnir as either a walking stick or like an umbrella. Or yeah, like that, yeah. Uh, transforming it into uh, an umbrella, meow, meow. And I loved when he pulled meow meow back as well um, and you just hear all the crashings of the cases and all this i thought it was a nice treatment of having a relatively serious doctor strange with um 
Thor's new comedic self yeah. and how that plays off. I, I thought it was a nice little touch. But it did feel like um, Benedict was going much more comedic than he did in, in the Doctor Strange film. He had some comedy moments, but in this it felt he felt much more comedic. He did feel like he fit into this world. Oh, definitely, Thor. yeah. So it, it was good to see him uh, involved in in this movie for me I, I again obviously i am looking forward to doctor strange the movie uh number two so uh to see him you know integrating into the 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 wider mcu actually having this part which of course kind of makes sense i kind of thought that he would either get introduced through the thor movies actually originally with the realms and, and all this kind of thing yeah. uh, or even with ant-man so it, I, it felt a, a, a decent connection for me to have these two characters uh hooking up uh to to try and work out and find where odin is and really stephen strange's uh motivation here is because loki's come back on earth um, and he's deemed to be a a, a class one uh, a hole um who has to be controlled yeah. uh, and earth has to be protected from i did like the gag of, of thor going oh we have magicians in the universe yet when his brother is the lord is the the god of mischief you know he's he's always been a <laughs> bit of a sorcerer so uh, these two characters in the comic books they have quite an interesting history going on quite an interesting storyline going on between loki and uh, and stephen strange at the moment in the comic books so looking forward to reading more mm-hmm. of that some of you'll know what i mean by that um, indeed chris do you think we've covered that enough to call that part of our summer of strange series yeah that's enough. i think so I, I do think I did, my one agreement with you guys is that the, the marigold gloves. <laughs> like I'm hoping in when Strange turns up in Avengers, they update his look a bit more. Mm-hmm. Like they they bring it a bit more Sorcerer Supreme 2017. Yeah, kind yeah. of like he can still wear a he can wear a suit with yellow yellow driving gloves, kind of like. Okay, you're, I don't know. you're not you're <laughs> no. not allowed at the costume design. Yeah, you're not production no, exactly. designer. But at you, all. you know what I mean. Like, like <laughs> there are some fantastic, um, there are some some fantastic costumes in some of the other runs in the comic books of Strange, where he 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 wears suits. He yeah. wears kind of more up to date clothing versus a, a puffy sixties wardrobe. It looks like he literally fell into the wardrobe through a time portal came out, managed to pull his 60s outfit on, and that was about it. It, it is um, the same suit as the Doctor Strange movie. So, I mean, like, I think it is pretty modernised as you can do a, a cloak and the whole Doctor <laughs> Strange look, definitely. But it is um, And I think maybe it, it jars up against the fact that Thor was wearing jeans, a leather jacket, and yes, a hoodie. exactly. Um, like, that's always going to be the case, whereas obviously in the movie, it was fine, because the context of it is, like, the Ancient One, or Mordo, and so on, in similar kinds of, of dress. So yeah. it will be interesting to see when he interacts with others how it feels, you know, seamless or natural, or, or whether he seems to be quite distinct. But then his character is pretty distinct and apart from uh a lot of the marvel universe anyway just because of the nature of who he is i suppose and i think that was my point that the fact that they have him in a scene with loki where loki's kind of going you think you're a sorcerer i'm the sorcerer i think they're kind of making a comment that 
don't worry, there will be a, a way to fit Doctor Strange in with these characters yeah, in the future. I, I think when so. we see him in Infinity War, I'm sure he'll fit in pretty but well. But yeah, ditch the Marigolds and don't let him get anywhere near a feather duster. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> On to our final supporting character. I think he has a right to be called one of the main supporting characters in the movie. Korg, played by Taika Waititi, the director of this film. Kind of a bit of one, one-upmanship on James Gunn doing Baby Groot back in the back in Guard of the Galaxy Volume 2. Uh, he had no lines other than I am Groot. So we have Korg, who is a motormouth rock monster, um, going throughout this film. And it's impossible to ignore this character. Oh, he it's is, fantastic. He is, every time he's on screen, he is constantly cracking jokes. And in a way, that's the only challenge I have with the character. He's constantly cracking jokes. And of all of the characters, his ones work the best and the worst in the film. And fail the, the best yeah, as they, well, they, absolutely. They, um, I, I really enjoyed this this kooky little character played by TW. I think, um, yeah, it was just so... It was just good fun. I love... You know, it, it's the combination of... The, the CGI rock monster, the, 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 the voice from Taika Watiti, um, the, the jokes as well, really funny, uh, and how in the end they, they become part of this revolution, which he's been talking about all the time, uh, to try and bring down, uh, the Grandmaster, you mm-hmm. know, it was, I really had an affection for this character for sure, um, and I think, um, in the main, he worked really, really well. I think it was just maybe like when he has the bug at the end and it goes on a bit. I was just like, okay, grand. That's fine. It's weird. It's wonderful. Was it really necessary? Probably not. I, I can't say much more than either of you have said, really. He steals the scene, but then he falls flat on his face quite a few times. Uh-huh. It's been said that 80% of the spoken word in this is improv. Right. Um, you can see it with Cork. Yeah. Every single one. He makes the joke where he gives the three-pronged spear to Thor. Uh-huh. And he goes, well, it's it's not really good unless you've got, like, three vampires and you want to poke them out at the same time. Yeah. Like, he's, he's making references to his own films. Yeah. And he has appeared in every one of his films so far. So this is something that he, I'm sure, is part of his contract when he gets a, a director gig, even something as big as Marvel. Yeah. But... I, I don't mind it. I'm I'm well happy to give him his own part in this universe, his mm-hmm. own like he can come back. Potentially in however serious the Affinity War is, we may want a Korg Definitely. to come in the odd time or even just to provide some comic relief. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Even a lame uh, joke. Yeah. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. And I think like I know we we joked that we we talked about the joke at the end. I personally loved it. Right. Like I think that is very much the level and style of jokes within this film. Mm-hmm. You may like it, but someone else will hate it. Absolutely. But then you may hate one of the jokes later, and they loved it. Yeah. It's because there is so many different types of humor. It's the nature and of so humor. many. Absolutely. It is really comedy is. is one of those tricky devils, definitely. And I think eighty to ninety percent of the time, it worked for me. Yeah. Um, it was just a few duds, that's all. Absolutely. Yeah. We've been holding off on one of the characters, haven't we, guys? Yes, we have. Which one was that? So, ladies and gentlemen, the dream we all dreamed of. Hulk versus Thor in the World Series of Love. By love, I mean, who does Thor love more, Bruce Banner or the Hulk? Because he does say to him, each of them, that he loves each of them when yeah. the other one isn't around. Um, 
I have to say, I love Hulk. I love him so much. I love Mark Ruffalo and as yeah. Bruce Banner. I think he's great. And I love how good the CGI is of a gigantic Mark Ruffalo painted green. And Definitely. It really does look so similar. I think this is the most similar we've had a Hulk looking to uh, yes. to the character that's playing him. I think it's uh, it's really good. I love this idea that he's on this planet kicking holy hell out of every opponent. And because the residents of this place love him for doing it. He wants to live here. This Hulk has found his home after being jettisoned off into space at the end of, uh, of Avengers. Yeah, in a Quinjet. Yeah, which, don't get me started on the Quinjet. I, <laughs> I have a serious problem in how they Why? explained, quote-unquote, how Hulk got to Planet Scar. He basically was in a Quinjet, flew into space. There's a black hole in space right above Earth that managed to teleport him directly to Scar. Enough said. That was literally the, the, the <laughs> that was how they explained it. Yep. And you're like, what? Uh, uh, what? In this film, that's not the most unrealistic thing, is it? it it's not, but it's just, it's so weak in <laughs> well, an explanation. Just, yeah, it was one of those things where it was like, oh, so that's where Hulk went to. He went like that. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was. It was like eh, okay. Um, so, in terms of the, the the CGI of Hulk, this is the most facially expressive Hulk we've got, mm-hmm. and I love it. Like it, he looks like, as you said, the Mark Ruffalo, yeah, six times bruiser, he, yeah, kind of. He that's what he is, and I loved it. Hulk finally is the most vocal. He he's spoken. Even as he does speak like a three-year-old. Yeah. Like fine. there's, I love you, Hulk smash emotion. There's, I'm angry and hurt, Hulk emotion. Yeah. <laughs> but he does okay. it. It's, it's uh, Hulk smash. You tiny raging fire, me <laughs> roaring fire. Yeah, that was cool. You tiny embers. There's like, great, there's great Hulk cracking jokes is fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. I love the bangles and the beads on Hulk, and I absolutely rolled around laughing when Bruce Banner wakes up to find these massive necklaces and bangles all over him and he's like what the hell is this I thought that was really funny can I say that's Um, one of my favorite scenes in the film Mark Ruffalo waking back up after the Hulk has been in control for over two years now he has no idea who's on a foreign planet and it is the scariest moment for this character. You've got Bruce Banner, yeah. who's been a very grounded character in the past. He's now in space. He's on a planet that he isn't from. And the only thing he's being asked is, can you come back to my home planet and save that? Going, I want to get back to Earth. <laughs> like, I don't live here. I'm not in outer space. Um, really liked really liked those moments yeah. with Mark Ruffalo. I think he played it really well. And because he has that, um, I suppose, kind of separated scene with Scarlett Johansson where she's doing the call out for Hulk to come back to them, that she's, he's about to disappear from their radar. Um, that scene actually is quite a touching scene when you have Mark Ruffalo playing it. Yeah, no, and I agree. In terms of the beads, um, that's very much a call back to the comic books. Yeah. I was always wondering how they would play Planet Hulk, in which the Illuminati in the comic books, which is a, a cabal of the, the Black Bolt and Namor and Professor Xavier, and a, like... There's a lot more there. And Doctor Strange, don't forget. And Doctor Strange, excuse me. How they would, who sent Hulk yeah. into a black hole and he put a crash on the scar on, and he became, he rises and builds the revolution. Mm-hmm. I was always wondering, how, when they said Planet Hulk, I was like, how are you going to do this? I am 
beautifully surprised that this pulled <laughs> off beautifully. Like, this was fantastic. Everything down to Kirby Way, uh, yeah. the first alleyway they turn onto after mentioned after Jack Kirby, the battle arena. Like, he's my friend from work. By the way, actually, sorry, that line, um, I thought this was amazing. Uh, they had a Make-A-Wish uh, child come to the stage during filming. Right. His or her wish was to go to the set of uh, and meet Chris Hemsworth, etc. Right. So he or she, I don't know which, came to the stage, met Chris during the, this filming of the scene and actually said he should say that line. And that's how this line came about. Right. Which right. was really great. And then just even that scene, actually, should we, we should talk about that scene. This is this is the scene of the movie, yeah. This is yes. one of the biggest and best, as I say. Hulk versus Thor, yeah. properly all out. We've had a couple of battles between the two of them. They are known as people that like to go up against each other. Thor is supposed to be unbeatable. Hulk is supposed to be unbreakable. Yeah, the two of them going up against each other in this movie, and it is classic. How they thought Taika Waititi, from his two small indie films could manage this kind of battle sequence and totally he pulls it off without a doubt this is great seeing these two characters go hell for leather against each other and that wonderful callback to uh, one of the best hulk moments so far where he's smashing uh, loki back and forth on the ground where he does the same thing to thor here and you see loki's reaction going now you know how it feels um, loved it loved how it was put together the mo- the movements between it where thor doesn't want to fight against hulk and then he eventually drops the pre- the pretense and just goes all out uh, really really cool definitely yeah i yeah i i loved everything about this fight scene um, to this, from the seconds where we thought it was not going to be a fight scene anymore, where it was like, we, oh my god, Thor won, holy god, to that, it's like, oh, no, no, there you go. Yeah. The Hulk beat the shit out of him. But did he lose or was it his power just taken away by the Grandmaster to allow Hulk to beat him? Which is what I think happened. So once again, we don't have a clear winner here, even though. Tony Stark does refer to Hulk as the strongest of the Avengers. I think there's still another battle to be had between these two. Yeah, and we we get Thor being referred to as Point Break. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. That is a great reference. Oh my god, Patrick Swayze. A great reference right the way back to Avengers 1, yeah. Well, definitely. And of course, this is where we see Thor do his thunder and lightning mm-hmm. thing as well for the first time to try and beat the Hulk. Um, it was just so good though, like the whole, the whole battle, like, you know, we kind of got that little snippet in the trailer, but, um, yeah, it was just so much more than I was expecting Definitely. and I absolutely loved it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of just want to bring it back in then to the, the scene where we have Hulk and Thor in the room together. Uh huh. This is potentially the most vocal, the most script Hulk has ever had. Mm-hmm. Mark Ruffalo was probably looking at the script, going, "I have how many words to say in this film? <laughs> Holy! I don't have to just walk around in mocap anymore. Uh-huh. This is amazing. Um, this this is brilliant. We we see this emotion driven Hulk. We see Hulk kind of pointing to the ship. We it was fantastic. We see his interaction with Valkyrie. Mm-hmm. Um. I, I want to see more of this in, in the Avengers Affinity. Really yeah. disappointed yeah. if we see a, a, a reversion or averting of the Hulk back to his Age of Ultron days. Uh, or actually, sorry, back to the, right. the, 
the the original Avengers. If if he goes back to there, then where he's monosyllabic, he's very. I don't think they will go there, but they won't go back. No, they won't go back. They've got this character now, and and he's got it in the back pocket. You know, if if money was no object, I would just love to see these two characters living together on a college campus or living together in Australia, going to work every day. They're they're great roommates. They're really good fun. Yeah. Um, you know, just some great moments. And especially just the interplay with Valkyrie as well. I don't, don't want to sell that character short as a really good kind of sh- uh, foil between Thor and, and Hulk. She works so well in, the, in yeah. there with these two characters yeah. as well. So, John, do you want to bring us on to our last point? Uh, yes, it is our fifth and final point, and it's the final battle and Ragnarok mm. on Asgard. Yeah, I mean, here we get that great little twist from the end where you're kind of thinking it's going to be about Thor preventing Ragnarok. And certainly with the opening, we have that with the the fire giant, Surtur, um, you know, and here we find and he realizes that actually he needs to um, make sure that Ragnarok happens so that Hela doesn't uh, have her dominion over Asgard. And it's linked in as well to the rescue of all the Asgardians with Heimdall. Uh, we get that great hero moment, as mentioned before, uh, with um, Carl Urban's character, uh, with the machine guns, Scourge, which is just... It all works, I think, really well. And I love the fact that, you know, you've got Hulk battling the, the gigantic doggy. Uh, we have... Um, the, the machine guns are of Scourge being used in his hero moment where he's killing all the resurrected warriors, which is another thing that was kind of hidden away, uh, beyond, um, beyond Asgard whilst Odin was there. He kind of that, that resting chamber of, uh, all the warriors that helped him get dominion over mm-hmm. the, the realms. And, um, and also were they right saying that all the, the artifacts down below were just cheap fakes, I cheap know. knockoffs. What an it, interesting idea. Is that right? Yeah, that is really interesting. They're effectively saying that the glove of Thanos that's being held down in in Asgard is a cheap knockoff. So effectively, Thanos may have the glove already? Is that is that what we're Yes, we're we knew that. Like So back in the Ultron post-credit, where we see mm-hmm. the, the yep. Thanos go, fine, I'll do it myself. And he goes in and takes the glove. Yep. This was a retcon from a mistake made at the very beginning uh, in the early days. Mm-hmm. It was a passing shot, glancing shot, where you saw the glove with the Affinity Gems in it. Uh, it was a left-handed glove, whereas mm-hmm. Thanos' one's is right-handed glove. That is the only fake, though. The, the Tesseract is real. Yes, and the Tesseract is... Uh Presumably in the hands of Loki now. He certainly had a nice long stir, a loving stir at the Tesseract. Presumably he's nicked it. I have that feeling, yeah. There was definitely a long lingering stir and the camera panned away. We went off to another scene and then it came back and Loki was carrying out his action. So I think it's in his hands. He had fond memories, I think, of mm-hmm. the Tesseract. He almost a, got world domination. Gave him a lot of power. During the, the San Diego Comic-Con trailer for Affinity War, in that trailer, which hasn't been released to the public yet, Loki has the Tesseract. He is shown yes, to be yeah. giving it to someone. We do know that, yes, he stole it. But smart, smarter than to put that in the movie so that yeah, we know that he, could, that he could get it. That's, that's definitely cool. Uh, overall, the final battle itself, I think, was a really good battle. I like, again, I think we mentioned this back in Doctor Strange. We mentioned it back in... Uh, in Homecoming, 
Marvel are definitely taking on board this idea that it's not about uh, a battle to save a city anymore. They did that for 15 movies. Now every single film since that criticism started to come in has been about something different. So in Doctor Strange, it was about reversing time to recreate a city. In in uh, Homecoming, it wasn't anything about the destruction of New York. It was just Peter versus Vulture. And in this one, it's about we need to destroy this land yeah. to save our people. So um, I like this. I like that it's the it's yeah. the hero destroying his own land. It's to the save sacrifice, the it's exactly. The sacrifice. Yeah, something it, different. Yeah, it definitely. Um, and it, it it works really well. It's that little twist uh, at the end of the movie uh, where you ultimately think that they're trying to prevent Ragnarok. Um, you know, and it it connects into uh, Satur as well, which is. I just think it worked really well here. Um, plus, trying to get all the Asgardians off, even though they may all perish at the hands of Thanos uh, and his big overcompensating uh, spaceship. <laughs> I, I, I loved this. I, I really did. Again, another scene that was in the trailers that wasn't actually in the film was all of the Revengers on the bridge together. We didn't actually see that scene. Um, folk, we, we did see Loki and Valkyrie and Thor stare down Hela, but Thor, uh, Hulk was off fighting the dog, uh, at this point, so it was another mm-hmm. CGI, like, oh, so, but anyway, the lesser of evils when it comes to, uh, editing for trailers. The fighting, the end fight was, was fantastic. Really good. I yeah. loved the uh, Thor losing the eye, uh, becoming Odin's, Odin's mm-hmm. son. Yeah. The character he has been in a lot of the comic books, this unworthy Thor, but mm-hmm. becoming worthy again. Um, I loved it. Um, I loved yeah. Hela's descent into madness, if you will, uh, fighting, uh, Surtur, going like this, you will not stop me, like firing this massive knife, jagged rock, at and then being destroyed. Um, I yeah, believe yeah. that, and this rumor's been going around as well for a while in the interwebs, that, uh, so Thanos is in love with death, uh, in the comic books. Mm-hmm. Um, the actor character called death, the actual character death, called called the, actual death the god, the goddess of death. Hela is just another goddess of death. Of death as well. Um, they believe now that the, the introduction of Hela as the goddess of death in the MCU, uh, Thanos will be in love with her. Mm-hmm. But now that she's been killed by Surtur, she will become the living embodiment of death. She is the true goddess now of death. She's not an Asgard uh, calling herself the goddess of death. She yeah. is now the, the true embodiment. And that's how they will bring Hela back in. Uh-huh. Thanos will be there. It will all be connected i thought this was a great way to do it yeah hopefully that sounds really good yeah like effectively what the what the whole point of why she was taking back over asgard in this film was because that's where she draws her power from with asgard destroyed all that all they're really saying is she may not be dead because asgardians as we know are, are immortal or have lived centuries so uh, she may not be dead she just has lost her source of power at the moment so possibly she'll seek out another source of power which will make her the goddess of death yeah that's very interesting um yeah no i definitely like this i think this was a really good final battle for for the movie and i love the twist as you say john the the idea of that that this is thor ragnarok not thor preventing ragnarok it's him creating it and causing it and, yeah. and leading to the end of the city and before we get onto the notes and wrap things up uh, i just want to bring one part in where we 
talk about Thor's full transformation to the god of thunder, where he he kind of meets Odin, he challenges himself, and he then gets we get that beautiful scene where he lands, does a superhero landing onto the bridge, mm-hmm. like fully in, emboldened in the lightning, and yeah. then we see that fight scene where it's the slow motion, everyone fighting at the same time. Um, we don't. It's almost like the hallway scene in the Netflix, but it's obviously just on a bridge. And probably a lot more budget. Yes, a lot more budget. But I loved the new fighting style of Thor. This, mm-hmm. like, with his swords and with picking things up and electrifying everything, it was just fantastic. Yeah. It was fabulous. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, it's it's kind of like I alluded to. I I just thought that dependence of uh, Mjolnir is gone, and like he's embodied the god of thunder and it just is so cool how yeah as you say he he's electrifying everything his eyes are this sort of bright hot white um and he looked proper badass actually yeah. uh, with that even with just uh, the single eye um as well and again i think to have that character as you say have his eye taken away um like obviously with odin it was just a a real nice little touch i think uh from the movie one interesting thing before we wrap up this kind of final battle discussion um is the 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 relocation of the asgard as guardians i should say yeah that's the excellent jonathan hickman run yes so it's where the asgardians end up in on i think it's texas or the mid-atlantic somewhere in in the mid 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 united states in midgard yes in midgard but create a asgard there yeah um it's fantastic i think built built by the avengers including tony stark i believe yes so i'm wondering if this this refugee crisis going to midgard flying to earth um at the end of thor ragnarok um could be uh, a precursor to that where it's like we Tony, we need your help. The people of Earth, we need your help. We are refugees from Asgard, and they're like, "Sure, take this part of the desert. Go do, go be Asgard there." I like it. Um, I like yeah. it. If they survive that uh, that confrontation with uh, with Thanos, I, w- I would hope they will be taken in. I really too. hope that they don't actually like. I would love to see Jesus, Asgard you want on genocide? Earth. No, but what I mean is, so far, if he if he did that, I could take him seriously, Thanos. You need to know that he's pure evil. Um, and, you know, this kind of genocidal, bloody, violent, sort of extreme act, I think would really make me connect with the character. It's not quite the way I, I want that to come <laughs> out. But, but he's been a nothing but, so far. You're yeah, right. He's yes. been a nothing. He's kind of been like this kind of, you know, he's just had his Christmas dinner. He's sat on his throne. He's looking a bit porky and it's kind of you need to see him really um be evil thanos for sure right. yeah that wraps up our top five points about thor ragnarok there's a couple of notes though here is first off obviously as usual in all of these movies we have a cam- cameo from stan lee this is pretty crazy stan lee is still in space after uh after Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, and now he's turned into a hairdresser who gives Thor his brand new <laughs> cool look. I'm really impressed with this. This is a really nice use of Stan Lee since he is the one that, that helped create all of these characters. He should be the one to change Thor in, and give him his brand new look. I think that's quite cool. Yeah, give him the old uh, short back and sides. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it's actually interesting that the, the short-haired look from Thor is from the uh, the Unworthy Thor comics, the recently released ones. Oh, very um, cool. 
where he becomes unworthy, so chops all his hair off. Mm-hmm. That's where Jane Foster becomes Thor, isn't it? Uh, yes. So uh, Thor, Thor Odin's son, becomes unworthy um, and uh, can no longer wield Minor. Meow meow. Uh, <laughs> I just want to say meow meow word last time. Um, so Jane Foster ends up taking. Oh, spoiler! I should say Jane Foster or a female Thor comes in. No, not a female Thor, it's Thor. Oh yes, correct, sorry, yes. So whoever wields the hammer is Thor, uh, and it's Jane Foster as the dual identity. Uh, And uh, Odinson becomes unworthy, takes up a giant axe, and um, loses an eye, and cuts all his hair off. Very cool. Um, So yeah, that's an interesting part. But Stanley cutting, being the hairdresser was just perfect. Perfect. And he looked pretty crazy as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the play on Asgard as well, they I thought was a, a, yeah, a nice little touch here with Sam Neill, who's, who's obviously worked with Taika Waititi um, on the Wilder People mm-hmm. movie. Uh, there was obviously Luke Hemsworth, uh, brother of um, Chris Hemsworth. And that's the one that's not so obvious to a lot of people. A lot of people didn't get the gag there that the guy in the in the blonde wig that's playing Thor is Thor's brother. Absolutely. Uh, We've really only seen him in Westworld. He's Westworld not... is the big one, definitely, yeah, he's... that he's been in. And then, of course, we get Matt Damon playing Loki. Of course he's playing Loki. I love this choice here. Of course Loki would transport actor Matt Damon to play him uh, to Asgard. I like that little touch. Um, one of the other little notes that I have for the, for this is uh, the wonderful, cool, giant wolf of Hela is uh, Fenrir. Um, a, a, another mythical creature. Um, but some Harry Potter fans may recognize the name from Fenrir Greybrack, from yes. one of the Death Eaters from, uh, from the Harry Potter books. So uh, the lycanthropic Death Eater. So um, there is that nice connection there. That's where that's where she got the name. Not from the Thor comics. Probably much more from uh, from mythology. Obviously, definitely. I want to talk about a part where Loki references that time I turned you into a frog to Thor. Mm-hmm. This is a real deep cut, and this is fantastic. This is a, a reference to one of the Walt Simonson's wackier Thor ideas, mm-hmm. where uh, basically Throg. There was a frog Thor. Yes. Throg isn't our Thor, and Loki had nothing to do with it, but it's a real thing. Basically, when they were looking at other people who could who had become Thor, um, you had Beta Ray Bill, um, mm-hmm. who was actually, his face was up on the tower uh, on Scar, uh, as, along with Man-Thing, uh, and uh, Hercules, I believe. Very cool. I was wondering what the Mount Rushmore of Scar was that was up there on the on the towers. I was trying to work out exactly who each of them were, but yeah, that, that makes sense, yeah. Beta Ray Bill, it was Hulk being Man constructed, Man-Thing, mm. and then Hercules. Very cool, um, very the, cool. The ones. But yeah, Throg was a frog-like Thor with blonde hair. I remember him. And green yes, skin. I do remember Yes, I thought that, that was kind of some of the good ones. Just a few other kind of quick notes. Tessa Thompson um, basically went on to say that she pretty much based her whole performance of Valkyrie on Sarah Connor uh, from Judgment Day 2 or Ter- Terminator uh, 2, 2 Judgment Day mm-hmm. that's pretty awesome it's not really a note I suppose but um, Kate Blanchett took the role of Hela because of her children uh, they, right. they're huge fans of the MCU and they were like mom this will really boost your career so mm-hmm. she took it that yes because Kate Blanchett needs to boost her career <laughs> yeah well according <laughs> to her son she does <laughs> uh, her son got a, a cameo. He's one of the Asgardians uh, on the on the film, and I believe that is everything. So, do we defend 
this Marvel movie. Chris, do you defend Thor Ragnarok? I do. Um, I understand the polarizing nature of this uh, film. Some people will love it. It is the Marmite, the Vegemite uh, of the Marvel <laughs> nice, Universe right yes. now. It is you either love it or you hate it. It's it's a stark departure from the MCU as it is today. It really is. It's a departure for people who need to understand this is a comedy set around the Thor MCU universe. This is the full understanding that it is a reboot, if you will, of the Thor characters. It's the the the, the regenesis. We get a beautifully animated Hulk, um, and may long may he live and become this character onwards. Um, Valkyrie is a fantastic addition. Um, mm-hmm. Jeff Goldblum is the Grandmaster. Um, I, I want to see him and the Collector and fight Absolutely. it off as the Immortals. Mm. I really do. That'd be awesome. Um, but more importantly, we get Hela, and I really do feel that she is one of the strongest female. No, sorry, she is the only female villain, main villain in the MCU because of the, one of the backstories she has. In that, she, it's all like we understand her reasoning. We really mm-hmm. do. There's no question as to why she she wants to destroy Asgard because she to take over Asgard because she draws her power from there. Why does she want to do that? Because of the overall that she wants vengeance on uh, on her father it's for locking her away. Uh, why does she want to take that uh, Asgard? Because she wants. She still believes that they should dominate and control not just the nine realms, but all realms. And it's a uh, birthright, yeah. Uh, and it's a birthright, yeah, exactly. She is the so they, it's again, it's Kate Blanchett as well. She's amazingly amazing actress or actor, I should say, uh, and she does fantastic things with this character. Yes, some jokes don't land, but I know that some of the jokes that I felt didn't land. I heard other people laugh too. Mm-hmm. So I understand that this is like a joke a mile a minute, but and you will get you will enjoy ninety percent of the jokes, and some of them are just like oh, I don't get it. And as I said earlier, I think people need to understand like this is not your typical. It's not the the, the early Marvel films. This is not just a Marvel superhero film. This is now similar to the way that the Winter Soldier was an espionage film, mm-hmm. and that. Um, Ant-Man was a heist film. This is a comedy set in the Marvel Universe. Yeah. They're no longer just origin films or... Um, there's none of that anymore. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with Thor Ragnarok being a comedy, but still moving the MCU forward, still moving the character, rebirthing the character, giving him a new genesis, which is fantastic. So overall, yes, I defend this film. Um, I understand why people don't. I understand why people don't enjoy it. But I think from an overall critical and fan criteria, this is a success. Mm -hmm. So, John, do you defend Thor Ragnarok? I do defend Thor Ragnarok. Um, I really, really enjoyed this movie um, so, so much. I would give this... Four Destroys out of five. <laughs> I 
I really enjoyed it. I, I love the humor. I love the sensibilities of the director. I really do. I've really enjoyed his last two films and I love the way, um, he brought some of those, um, elements to this massive big budget, uh, knockout comic book movie. Um, you have the fight of Thor uh, and the Hulk, which I, thought was just amazing it was really epic uh really substantial um i adored valkyrie uh, and her arc i thought how she worked with thor and hulk it just felt so natural and i really enjoyed uh, her story jeff goldblum can do no wrong in my eyes yes he's jeff goldblum but this is one of those movies where Jeff Goldblum works as Jeff Goldblum within a movie. Um, it's written really well, and he delivers it so well. And Topaz, um, his sidekick um, or he- head of his guard, I just loved how they interacted. It-, it was really, really well done. Of course, it's got one of my favorite comic book characters in there as well with Dr. Stephen Strange. It was great to see um, that he was in this movie it gives me confidence that he is here to stay within the mcu as an integral part of it um and i think yeah i mean even down to scourge all the other different elements to me um that you know it was a reboot of this character um and I felt that Chris Hemsworth really did a great job. I loved the shorter her. Um, I loved the continuation of his abs. Uh, I loved uh, the fact that Meow Meow was kind of reduced in importance. Obviously, it was shattered by Hela. Really enjoyed that. Um, and I, I just thought the visual and him embracing his godness like uh, and his the thunder was just phenomenal within both the arena fight and obviously in the the final showdown with uh, Hela. I love the twist that it Ragnarok had to be caused by the Asgardians to save it and to save its people. Um, I think, as they say, Asgard is not a place; it's a people. Um, it, it's a it's a, a thought, uh, as Odin said. Um, you know, whatever about the CGI with Odin, I found that quite touching. Him sort of whispering off on the winds uh, to Valhalla and uh, yeah to unleash um his his daughter the the, the sister that is uh, Hela onto the world is so good um Kate Blanchett I mean what can I say she is just fantastic in everything she does and i really enjoyed um her her interplay between being sort of crazed despot uh blood bloodlust uh with the the kind of the the humor as well that she brought to the role um really really good and that is why i think overall for me this is a really fun film uh, like guardians of the galaxy it brings comedy into the marvel uh universe uh, i think it's uh, a really nice little hook up as well into you know with seeing thanos's ship that uh, come into uh, this part of space in the post credit scene as well it presumably will give a nice link into um then infinity wars uh, with thanos um mm. and whilst i don't want to see ill of the asgardians i do hope he blows them out of space okay. yeah. <laughs> i think it'll be good be interesting be something different for marvel so derek to round out the group and to tell us your thoughts 
do you defend Thor Ragnarok? Do you know, I think I'm probably the coldest of the three of us on Thor Ragnarok. I know this is really bad to say, but comedy movies are not generally something I go for. Um, I generally try to avoid comedy movies as much as possible. I'm much more of a fan of the Coen Brothers humor rather than Jim Carrey kind of humor. Um, this had a lot too much slapstick for me. I'd say this is it's a high movie for me in, in the overall MCU. I'd say it might just sneak into the top 10 of films, but things like Civil War... It will never be um, for me that the Captain America films will will are, will always be better. But I can definitely see that this is a better movie than the other th- two Thor movies. I certainly laughed in the cinema. But the one thing that I find with comedy movies for me in general is I've seen them once. I've laughed at the jokes. The next time I see them, I might catch another few jokes that I'd missed the first time. And then that's probably going to be it for me. Um, I think what this was missing versus Guardians of the Galaxy, which is its closer counterpart in the Marvel Universe is it didn't have the heart that those movies had. We lost Odin early on in the movie in a great scene, but that was the only scene of a bit of harrowing moment for the characters. Um, everything else that played out in the film was just getting from point A to point B with gags. Um, so I, I would kind of say, yeah, I'm, I defend it. It's definitely worth a watch, but I don't feel that it's it's high up there. I see these the stuff that's coming out, which I know is all marketing, saying the highest rated Marvel movie, but that's going to drop off as the as the weeks go on and as the movie yeah. hits North America and, and gets released. Those those reviews are gonna, those review scores are going to drop, and I think they're going to plummet lower than most of the recent Marvel films. Um, I did enjoy it. It's nice to see a new take and nice to see something yeah, brand definitely. new in the Marvel universe. But I've never been one that complained about the Marvel universe's films. I've never been somebody that said we need to change here because they've all been fun and they've all been good. Uh, but this is a great night out. Um, I just think it'll it'll fade into memory uh, reasonably quickly, but it'll still probably stay in the back of my head higher than the other two Thor films. Interesting. I, I suppose, gentlemen, that is the, to wrap up our podcast, but because this podcast is not just about what we think, we also want to know what you guys think, our fellow defenders. We have some Facebook feedback. Am I correct in saying this? Yes, from our Facebook group yeah. over at facebook.com slash groups slash Defenders TV Podcast. Come up and join, join us over there. It's where we talk about all of our Marvel uh, connected podcasts and all of our thoughts about the comic books, about TV shows, and obviously the upcoming Defenders series punisher but to begin with we got a piece of feedback in from selling kisler he says it was fun action-packed all the characters featured new and old were great and had some really fun cameos i thoroughly enjoyed the movie but had a few issues they unceremoniously dispatched the warriors three not even a mention of a mention by thor where was sif asking the question in universe of course we all know that jamie alexander is busy with blind spot but a throwaway line would have satisfied my curiosity of why she was nowhere to be found while asgard was being destroyed this is made worse by her appearance in the play at the beginning. I thought the movie did a decent job of balancing the fantasy elements of the Thor franchise and the wacky space travel elements of the Guardians of the Galaxy universe, but I worry that this may be too much homogenizing across the Marvel films. Hopefully this was just an outlier. You know, that's a really good point. We mentioned the dispatching of the Warriors 3. Perhaps it is that that thing that it's not even mentioned by Thor. These are his men at arms, you know, the, these four characters, Sif and the Warriors 3. They're the people who've gone into battle with him more times than anybody else. And he doesn't even question where they are when he returns to Asgard yeah. and meets up with Heimdall. He doesn't go, where are my Warriors 3 and have a moment of shedding a tear. That's what I mean about the movie not having the heart that Guardians of the Galaxy no, would. No, I, I agree with that, definitely. Um, and that's a really interesting um, thing that Salim brings up. And I think it's why I would say that Tessa Thompson as Valkyrie is the heart of this movie mm. um, in terms of her storyline and, and marries 
seriousness, the comedy aspects of of her character, and integrating with Thor and Hulk. I think the best of, of all of them. She she's kind of there from start to end, and I feel her kind of story is the one that has the most heart here. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um. I and I I think it, it's an interesting. Uh, idea and I suppose we'll only know with time as to whether um this is a homogenizing across the Marvel films and um, like absolutely I love the fact that it's going into space into fantasy and also mysticism and, and magical areas being a Doctor Strange fan however uh, Marvel should also not lose sight of the earth and the the superheroes on Earth doing their thing. Admittedly, this is the only Marvel movie that has even attempted to bridge the gap between all of the other Marvel movies and the Guardians of the Galaxy universe. So, so yeah, you're right. Let's see how it plays out when we get to Infinity War. Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, I just think it, it bridges between the previous Thor movies and Guardians of the Galaxy exactly. yeah. uh, primarily. But it will be interesting. We'll only know moving forward whether this is, I suppose, as Salim um, mentions, a uh, homogenizing of, of some of the Marvel films. I suspect it, it won't be, but certainly the Infinity Wars are going to be in space, so mm-hmm. um, there will be that space element to it. But um, yeah, thanks, thanks, Salim, for the feedback. Following on from that, we had Tina Brown come in to talk about how, what she thought of Thor Ragnarok, and that was I saw it today, very funny loved Jeff Goldblum Kate Blanchett can camp it up with the best of them, she looks like she's having a fantastic time, I also really enjoyed her in the Indiana Jones but that not must be named yes, me coming in here Chris saying yes, let's leave that one out for now she was never in an Indiana Jones film <laughs> exactly Tina went on to say I wish more directors realised that if the cast is really having fun, it will make your movie that much better. Finalising, she said, oh, one last thing, the Black Panther trailer looked sick. Oh, yes, that is cool on the big screen, isn't it? Oh, God, yeah. Black Panther, for me, is one of my most anticipated films of early next year. I can't wait. There is so much to be said about it, and I know... This podcast will probably come in just over two hours. I think Black Panther will come in at like three and a half, four. Not if I have anything to do with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's with your editing. The editing munching machine will <laughs> take effect. It's going to be so interesting. And I agree with T- Tina, where she said that she wished more directors realized that if you have a great cast and they're having fun, it will make your movie much, much better. We see that with this film. It's a great cast. If we believe what we're led to believe, that this was 80% improvised in the script, it's still a great film. So, yeah, I really agree. Yeah, I do agree. But I have seen movies that are absolute messes because the cast are only having fun and forgetting about the storyline. <laughs> so oh, yeah. It is also, true. I must say, fair dues to Taika Waititi for putting together a movie as well out of a lot of improvisation, which I'm yeah. sure felt flat more often than not as well. So fair dues to him for doing a really good job. Yeah, and finally, Jim Carrey, he says, my very negative first impression is they deadpooled Thor. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jim. Yeah, certainly, I think there may be a lot of other people out there who think that as well, or, you know, there's mixed feelings, uh, and I suppose that is definitely 
the the beauty of movies and um, that there's a lot of thoughts on the same movie absolutely and if you want to send in your thoughts to us about our next show which is the punisher or anything else that we're covering all you need to do is email us over at feedback at defenders tv podcast.com come on over to the website at defenders tv podcast.com and you can record up to 90 seconds of your thoughts about anything that we've been covering we'll play it on the podcast and discuss it and if you want to talk to us about anything else marvel related come and join us over on our facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash defenders tv podcast and of course uh, we would love to have you to subscribe to us you can subscribe to us over on itunes at defenders tv podcast.com forward slash itunes or going to any good or evil shield or hydra affiliated uh, or i suppose asgardian or hella affiliated if you want to call it that now um podcast catchers such as podcast addict stitcher etc uh, and just liking and subscribing there we would be very much appreciative uh, we hear grannies really love um our show and our podcast if that is a deep cut from about like four episodes ago so then you need to go back and understand why i've just said that you need to listen to four episodes ago um and they, thank you very much for listening to uh, us review of thor ragnarok and we will be back on the 17th of November with our first episode review of Netflix Marvel's The Punisher. Uh, I can't wait, and I know the guys here can't wait. Do, can you guys? No, no, really. Always, yeah. I think we can pretty much confirm now that we actually will be able to deliver The Punisher podcast as the episodes come out, as we've been able to do with our uh, previous Netflix coverage because of the wonderful people over on Netflix giving us our preview copy pretty soon. So uh, really excited to get into that show. It's going to be very different. I think it's going to be much more adult than the other shows. But follow along with us by subscribing to the podcast, and we'd love to hear your thoughts as we go through. Absolutely. Thank you uh, so much for listening. Uh, thanks for all the feedback uh, on uh, this really, really uh, good little movie uh, from Marvel. Absolutely. How are you doing now, Chris? I'm good. The jet lag is gone. Winning. That's an even better way of saying it. Thanks for joining us. Talk to you again soon. Yeah, thanks so much for listening, and we'll speak with you again next time. Bye. I get that. Yep. Yeah, Why me too. the hell did you not then just pull the two actors, three actors, four actors, sorry, excuse me, do you want to try that again? (laughs) Seven actors, nine actors. (laughs) I mean, one of the things here as well is that the Grandmaster is the brother of the Collector from Guardians of the Galaxy. That to Chris, he didn't write it. (laughs) I didn't know who wrote that, so I just thought, okay, we see all the notes in there. Uh, Yeah, but it's not got the little. Sorry, Chris. Sorry, I just thought, okay. okay, no one's taking that up so i thought i, I was just it. gonna say sorry. okay grant cool. she's the the most complex most well-developed of all the characters in this movie um through to redemption and realizing that she's being supported by whore <laughs> <laughs> by who sorry <laughs> that's a different one <laughs> that she's being supported by thor <laughs> Even funnier. (laughs) I thought he was. I thought he was trying to say like by Hulk, but it's mixed of Hulk and Thor. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I could say that. Um, You know that, but she's revolution, which she's been talking about all the time uh, to try and bring down uh, the the Jeff Goldblum. The you know the. 
going to say the, the chairmaster. Chairmaster? Yeah, I don't know why. Um, if they survive that uh, that confrontation with uh, with Thanos, I, I would hope they will be taken in. I really hope that they don't actually... Like, I would love to see Jesus, Asgard on Earth. Said? No, but what I mean is, so far, if he if he did that, I could take him seriously, Thanos. You need to know that this guy is pure f***ing evil. Like, if he wants death as his bird. It wasn't that, John. It was the okay. pure f***ing evil was my problem. It's just the pure evil. Oh, is this, have we started back yeah, up? We're oh, still sorry. recording. I thought you were just chatting. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's your outtake. <laughs> I thought you were just chatting still. Okay, sorry. Um Sam Neill, who's who's obviously worked with uh, Tika Witana. <laughs> Different every time, John. Every single time. <laughs> Taika Wititi. Who's worked with Taika Wakiti uh, on um, Watiti. Who's worked with Taika Watiti um, on uh, the Wilder People mm-hmm. movie. 